Frequency is for open-minded thinkers, for observers who are hopelessly curious, for experiencers of the mysterious, and for those who are passionate about perceiving the unknown. I will be sharing with you all my own exceptional experiences and other extraordinary constructs that exist in our reality. Welcome to Access Elysium. What's up and welcome to all of you beautiful souls out there. I am your host, Amber O'Dell, and this is the Access Elysium podcast. So before jumping in right into all the fun stuff, I figured I would just give you guys a little bit of information to find us and to listen to us and to become a VIP member. So if you go to accesselysium.com and check out the website, we will post all kinds of trailers for conversations with me and Nikki, which is always interesting and crazy. Um, so then if you want to become a VIP member, it's only $5 a month. So for the price of, I don't know, a jar of pickles. Is that what a jar of pickles is these days? <laughs> Fuck, I don't know. I went to the grocery store to get dog food, which was normally like 35 bucks a bag. And now it's like 50. What the hell, H-E-B? <laughs> I mean, it's probably not just H-E-B. It's probably IMS, but whatever. So you can get me for a lot less than a bag of dog food every month. <laughs> so become a VIP member because then not only do you get the free episodes like I'm doing here, but you get two other series and one is called It's Just Me In Here where I just I just go on a rant. I have no plans for anything. I just turn the microphone on and I see what happens. And then the other one is Conversations with me and Nikki Levine. And by far those are going to blow your socks off because I don't know what the hell <laughs> we come up with the what, things that we talk about. But it's definitely, you need to pay for that shit. <laughs> so check us out. Become a VIP member. We would love to have you. So let's get to it. Have you ever worried that your mother would ask you to castrate and overthrow your father so you and your siblings could take their place as the rulers of the universe? Hopefully not, but in ancient Greece, this was part of the first creation story of our world long ago. So coming up on the show today, we're going to dive into similar themes in creation stories, how many different supreme beings decided to create the universe, and who has the most traumatizing creation story of them all. So what the fuck is a creation story? <laughs> this, ah, these are so great. Like I always contemplate, I question everything and I contemplate how the fuck we even got here. So creation stories are so great. They're so wild. And sometimes you're like, how in the fuck did someone just make this shit up? <laughs> I mean, Yes, we did. We made all of it up. Everything's made up. <laughs> like that's how we're alive. We're making all this up as we go. So just to kind of dive into some creation stories, all human societies, including our own, tell stories of how the world began. Such stories are almost indefinitely varied in detail, like 
They're all <laughs> fucking wild and out there, but they all tend to include some basic themes. When you start listening to them, you're like, wait a minute. Like all these stories are starting to blend together. They sound very similar. So many accounts begin with the earth being retrieved from water. Water's a big one. Like water was before the earth and the beginning of like anything in a lot of these stories. In some of them, gods and people and animals emerge from the earth just as plants still do. And in others, the process begins when a creature, such as a bird or a tortoise, dives into a primordial ocean and brings up a small piece of earth from which the universe is created. Myths of these kinds are common among American Indians and Aboriginal Australians who call the existence before for the moment of creation, a period called the time of dreaming. Oh, this, I love this because I've talked about this, eh, pretty sure. Is that the dream state is this creative masterpiece realm where there are no rules. Like this is where everything is being created and all these ideas are kind of swirling together before they even become a physical manifestation. So I love this idea from the American Indians and the Aboriginal Australians. But several mythologies begin with the splitting in two of a cosmic egg. Oh, the cosmic egg is huge in them too. This is very popular. I mean, in a, the Chinese version, uh, this is followed by the growth of a giant whose limbs eventually form the observable world. And a dismembered giant is also featured in the Norse account of creation. So giants are a big thing in the creation stories, too. I mean, there's giants in the Bible that, <laughs> you know, that's one of those things where people are like, mm, yep, giants in the Bible. So if the Bible is to be taken literally, then we have to accept that giants roamed the earth. So, but the Norse version begins with a magic emptiness, one of the most characteristic features of creation stories. So this emptiness is also very popular, like, like the void. The Hebrews imagine a first moment when all is void with darkness on the face of the deep. And in Greece, the story begins with chaos. Ugh, chaos is huge in creation stories, meaning like a gaping emptiness before everything goes fucking crazy. In Egypt and Mesopotamia, a boundless ocean sets the primal scene. So water again, all these, this emptiness, this water and giants so far. <laughs> so there's several creation stories in Egypt attached to rival gods. The most common one begins with none. Okay, guys, remember, I don't fucking know how to pronounce <laughs> A lot of things. So I hope I don't butcher these. But none, the primeval ocean from which Amen rises. So this story, he takes the name of Ra, the one that rises from this ocean. And thus, in effect, merging two rival deities. So none and Ra. Now there's two of them. So by an act of masturbation, 
Ra produces a divine son and daughter. I told you this shit is going to get weird. Uh, these two, son and daughter, then breed together. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. And they make a race of gods while the tears of Amun and Ra become mankind. This is the weirdest shit. <laughs> I love this. Okay, so, so far in Egypt, we've got this dude who's jacking off and his sperm become his son and daughter and then they do it to make babies that become a race of gods oh no like i get it like if you're starting from scratch and there's nobody else you gotta have somebody to make a baby with but ew i don't know (laughs) so there's just so many crazy creation stories out there that we are going to dive into. Okay, so first we're going to talk about types of creation stories and things that you'll find commonly themed within them. So creation from chaos. So chaos is the mythological void state. So it's like a void state preceding the creation of the universe in Greek Uh, creation myths. In Christian theology, the same term is used to refer to the gap or the abyss created by the separation of heaven and earth. Okay, chaos is the void. So this this is a little confusing to me. I don't think of chaos as the void. So maybe I need to rethink things. Chaos to me is like the beginning of, of just uncertainty and nothing that's formed completely and it's just dismembered ideas and and matter and nothing that makes any sense. I guess I never really put chaos together as the void because the void would be like none of that to me. <laughs> it's like it doesn't contain anything. It's like still. I don't know. Maybe I should... I don't know. So the next one is Earth Divers. Okay, the Earth Diver is a common character in various traditional creation myths. Uh, In these stories, a supreme being usually sends an animal into the primal waters to find bits of sand or mud with which to build a habitable land. And an emphasis is placed on beginnings emanating from the depths. So some kind of animal. It's always an animal before humans, okay? So... Animals were here before humans. So these birds and these crabs and these turtles are set down into the depths of these oceans to bring up a piece of mud for some kind of supreme being to be like, well, I'll use this (laughs) to create a new universe. And then there's emergence. So in emergence myths, humanity emerges from another world into the one they currently inhabit. So emergent myths, they commonly describe the creation of people and supernatural beings at a, as like a metamorphosis. I love that word. Through a series of subterranean worlds to arrive at their current place and form. So the previous world is often considered the womb of the earth mother. And the process of emergence is likened to the act of giving birth. So you're moving from one world through into another one. So in the Kiva, (laughs) think that's how you say it. In the Kiva of both ancient and present day Pueblo peoples, the Sapapu, 
is a small round hole in the floor that represents the portal through which the ancestors first emerged. So the Pueblo people have this awesome emergence story where someone crawls through the fucking hole in the floor. (laughs) It's kind of like, oh, I mean, okay, it's not completely like it, but yeah, that one show where it's all the Western Outer Rim, Outer Rim. No, it's Outer Range, Outer Range, where the hole opens up and this is where things start emerging from. It's like a birth from one world into the next. I I love this idea. So then we come to, I don't know, how do I say this? Ex Nihilo, Ex Nihilo, which means, I'm fucking not saying that right. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Ex Nihilo, Nihilio, fuck me. It means out of nothing. So the myth that God created the world out of nothing is central to today's Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So nothing, and then along came a God who is something. So is it really nothing? That's where I'm coming from. But so ex nihilio creation is found in creation stories from ancient Egypt, who, man, they have a lot of them then, I guess, in ancient Egypt, the Rig Veda, and many animistic cultures in Africa, Asia, Oceania, and North America. In most of these stories, the world is brought into being by the speech, dream, breath, or pure thought of a creator. But creation out of nothing may also take place through a creator's bodily secretions <laughs> so is this also the little masturbating dude who spit it out his kids who made kids so in the out of nothing idea there is a god who can either think it into existence dream it into oh i love that one it's dreaming it into existence it's speaking it or just you know throwing some bodily fluids out there <laughs> <laughs> Just a little DNA, a little little scrap piece that can kickstart the rest of it. And then we have world parent mythological creation stories. So these are two types. Well, no, there's two types of world parent myths, both describing a separation or a splitting of a primeval entity, the world parent's become two after you split this one core entity. One form describes the primeval state as an eternal union of two parents. And the creation takes place when the two are pulled apart. So it's like splitting of the atom, kind of. So two parents are commonly identified as sky. The sky gods are normally dudes, so usually male. And earth, which are usually female. So... The mud is the chicks who in the primeval state were so tightly bound to each other that no offspring could emerge. And these myths often depict creation as the result of a sexual union and serve as like the record of how deities were born from it. So but in the second form of world parent myths, creation itself springs from dismembered parts of the body of the primeval beings. So we can just chop a finger off of one of them and be like, well, 
let's just use this. Like, I feel like that's kind of how the whole story of Adam and Eve where, you know, Lilith, Lilith was all like, nah, this dude is not for me. So God was like, well, I guess I better make you another one. So he took a part of his ribs and was like, I oh, will just use this and I'm going to make you another person. But often in these stories, the limbs, the hair, the blood, the bones, the organs of the primeval being are somehow severed or sacrificed to transform into sky and earth and animals and plants. These myths tend to emphasize creative forces in nature rather than like sexual things that happen. And they depict sacred and elemental components of the natural world. So this is where your earth, your wind and your fire all come from. It's just broken fingers from some parent of an entity. So then we come to the cosmic egg. I, I love this one too. So typically the world egg is a beginning of some sort and the universe or some primordial being comes into existence by hatching from the egg. So sometimes this, this egg is put into the primordial waters of the earth. Oh, see, water, earth, egg. Ah, which one came first, the earth or the egg? You know? These questions, every time they answer something, you just loop right back around like, but who then made that? That's always my question. And I feel like that's the hardest question when it comes to the beginning of anything. There, Here is the answer for you. We're only a few minutes in and I'm going to tell you the answers to the universe right here. Okay. There is no beginning. Mm-mm. There's no beginning and there is no end. And I know that's so hard to grasp when our culture and our society bases everything off of like a linear timeline and this is where you start and this is where you finish. This is when you clock in. This is when you clock out. Uh, No, there's no beginning and there is no end because once you find the beginning of anything, There's always something before it, and there will always be something after it. It's infinitely happening. You cannot start anywhere. It all just exists. (laughs) I don't know how else to explain it very well, and hopefully someday it'll make sense to you, but let's get into some creation stories by a supreme being. This is the this is the conundrum I'm talking about here. All right, I'm just going to lay it out. So before I jump into these stories, let's say we have a supreme creator deity that is creating the universe. All right, already right now, I'm a little I'm a little confused because there's a supreme creator deity already here making the universe. So where did the supreme creator deity come from? Who made them? Because they didn't come from nothing. Okay, well, there is the whole it came from nothing idea. So maybe they did come from nothing, but they still were created before they could create anything else. You get what I'm saying? 
uh, I'm chasing my tail. So creation by a supreme being. All right, here we go. So in Britannica.com slash topic slash creation myths, they had some really awesome information. So though the precise nature and characteristics of the supreme creator deity may differ from culture to culture, a specific uh, structure of this type of deity can be found. So here's some uh, very common uh, characteristics of your supreme beings out there because there's a lot of them, guys. Okay, there's not just one. Sorry to bust your bubble. There is not just one. <laughs> Number one, he. Oh, it's already starting off with a he. Can we not do any she's? Whatever. I'm rolling with it. He is all wise and all powerful. The world comes into being because of his wisdom and he is able to actualize the world because of his power. Number two, the deity exists alone prior to the creation of the world. There is no being or thing prior to his existence. No explanation can therefore be given of his existence before which one confronts the ultimate mystery of if there can be no being prior to the being, how is the being being? <laughs> Number three, the mode of creation is consciousness, deliberate and orderly. This, again, is an aspect of the creator's wisdom and power. So the creation comes about because the deity seems to have a definite plan in mind and does not create on a trial and error basis. Like, they're perfect. They don't need to try and fuck things up. They're going to do it perfectly every time because they're a supreme being. Uh, I don't know. It's probably just the human in me that's like, well, no, we fuck shit up. Like, we're not going to get this all right, but that, that is a human quality. It's not a supreme being quality. Okay, I, I'll let that one go. So the creation, number four, the creation of the world is simultaneously an expression of the freedom of this deity. So they can do whatever they want. So, but that also means that his relationship to the created order after the creation is again up to him to be free from. He can make it and then be like, cool, and fucking leave. He he might care about what happens. He might not. He might be like, well, moving on to the next one. Or he might just be like totally dwelling off of this one creation. Who's to say that he hasn't created a hundred million other things? If he can create this one, do you think he would stop and be like, well, this one's perfect. I don't need to create anything else. But, okay, if he's the perfect deity, I get it. He can stop at one. But if he thinks he's so perfect, look at me. <laughs> I'm so judgy of our pretend supreme being here. Why would you stop with just one? Why wouldn't you then create all kinds of different perfect little worlds? I would keep going. How boring is it just to have one? But in number five, in several creation myths of this type, the creator deity removes himself from the world after it has been created. After the creation, the deity goes away and only appears again when a catastrophe threatens the created order. I mean, okay, I get that. Let's just say you're an artist and you've created this beautiful canvas piece and you put it up in a gallery and now it's there for the world to see. And you're like, oh, I feel good. I feel accomplished. You can go about your life and do your thing. You don't have to sit there and babysit this thing. But if you know that there's a hurricane coming that's going to hit that gallery, you're going to come 
you're going to come save? You're going to try to come save. I don't know. Are you just going to watch the hurricane hit it? No, I wouldn't. I'd try to come save my art piece, but that's just me. I don't know. I think it would be kind of fun to be a supreme being, but so much work. Oh my gosh. But number six, the supreme creator deity is often a sky god. So always in the sky. If you're a supreme being of any kind in the ground, you're not top dog, apparently. Like, you're you're middle management. (laughs) You are not a sky god. But in creation myths of these types, the creation itself or the intent of the creator deity is to create a perfect paradise. So, so perfect here. Before the end of the creative act or sometime soon after the end of it, the created order of the deity is challenged by some fault of one of the creatures. Okay, but here's my question. I'm I'm following this. So thus then there's a rupture in the creation myth, and in some myths this rupture is the cause of the departure of the deity from the creation. So if the creator is so perfect, how did one of his creations come to have faults? Mm, get what I'm saying? How perfect are we here? If you can't even make a perfect creation that does perfect things. I don't think you can be a perfect creator if your creations come back at you like, well, I don't like that. I don't know. That's just me. But an African myth from the Dogon peoples. Oh, man, they have some great stuff. Like, I feel like they're going to pop up a bunch. People like to refer to them. Uh, But the peoples of West Africa illustrate this point. In this myth, the creator deity first creates an egg. Within the egg, there are two pairs of twins, each pair consisting of one male and one female. These twins are supposed to mature within the egg, becoming androgynous, meaning they're both male and female, and the perfect creatures to inhabit the earth. One of the twins breaks from the egg before he is mature. He, ha, it's the dude. Yeah, we know. You're the troublemaker. (laughs) No, I can't say that. There's so many chick troublemakers out there. But one of the twins breaks from the eggs before he's mature because he wishes to dominate the creation. And in doing so, he carries a part of the egg with him. And from this, he creates an imperfect world. So this is where the little egg man is kind of going after the deity that started him in the first place by making things imperfect. The creator deity then, seeing what he has done, sacrifices the other twin to establish a balance in the world. What the fuck? Why are you... Why are you taking it out on the chick who did everything you were... She was supposed to do? Ugh. And then the creation is sustained by this sacrifice, and it is now ambiguous instead of the perfect world intended by God. So the dude totally fucked it all up for the chick in the whole world. What an asshole. (laughs) I love these stories. But this is just an example of widespread symbols of dualism, the divine twins, the cosmic egg, and the sacrifice. These are all real basic structures of themes in African creation myths. So let's talk about some emergence creation myths. So in contrast to the creation by a supreme sky deity, there's another type of creation myth in which the creation seems to emerge through its own inner power from under the earth. 
Mm, I like this one. I'm feeling this one already. In this genre of myth, the created order emerges gradually in continuous stages. It is similar to a birth or a metamorphosis, that's why I like it, of the world from its embryonic state to maturity. So in some myths of this type, uh, like the Navajo, the movement from a lower stage to a higher one is initiated by some fault of the people who live under the earth. So they're blaming the people under the earth for them to have to move up. But these faults are only the parallels of an upper movement in the earth. So that's kind of like the as above, so below. So is it really their fault? I don't think so. I think that the people under the earth are moving up, moving on up. They're coming up. They're they're tired of being, I don't know if they're tired. <laughs> but they're ready to raise their vibration. They're, they're moving to a higher existence. So just as the supreme creator deity myths form a connection to the sky, the emergence myth forms a connection to the earth and to childbearing women, similar to the growth of a child in the womb. Okay. So since I'm a woman, I already kind of gravitate towards this. I understand it, um, like creating from one world into the other. I mean, okay, this just means that us women are like portals for worlds so that there is an emergence of one universe into the next. Our wombs are emergent portals for other things to come through. This is awesome. This is how I'm going to view this from now on. So the underworlds prior to the created order appear chaotic, though. So the beings inhabiting these places seem disembodied and without form or stability, and they commit immoral acts. So is this like a hellish kind of place? This crazy chaos is moving towards order, however, and this order is coming from within and not from the outside. So you're starting in chaos and you're moving towards order and it's coming from within you. It's not coming from some dude in the sky. So from another perspective, the emergence myth introduces the meaning of fertility and death. So this symbolism is dramatically presented in all kinds of wide ranges, like funeral rituals where one is buried in the earth in hopes of a renewal from the earth, or the earth has stored the knowledge of the ancestors from whom the new generation is going to emerge. So it's this cycle of life and death that's created through this emergence. I love this myth. I think this one's my favorite so far. So creation uh, by world parent story. So closely related to, you know, the other ones, this myth states that the world is created as a progeny from a primordial mother and father. So mother and father create a little baby that creates the new universe. But... Here's where it gets weird. The mother and father are symbols of earth and sky. And in myths of this kind, the world parents generally appear at a late stage of the creation process. So chaos in some ways exists before coming into being the world parents. So you have to start into chaos and then chaos makes the world parents. Ow, that's getting confusing. But. Then there is some form of reality before the appearance of the world parents. Okay, so chaos, craziness, they start forming some kind of reality. And from that, these world parents emerge and then they make a baby. But the parents are often 
unaware that they've even done so. Like they have no idea that they've even made offspring sometimes. Okay, the world parents in the Babylonian myths do not even wish to be disturbed by their offspring. They're like, no, we don't have time for you. (laughs) We made you and that's good enough. And then the separation of the world parents is the sign of a new cosmic order, which separation of parents, new baby. So then when that baby makes another baby and becomes a parent, new cosmic order. It's just still this this cycle of life and death. There's no beginning and there is no end to any of this shit. It should not even be called. (laughs) Okay, creation. It is creating, but there's no beginning and there is no end. So the, the cosmic egg story. So let's do that one. In a Tahitian myth, the creator deity himself lives alone in a shell. After breaking out of the shell, he creates his counterpart and together they undertake the work of creation. So this one, like they don't even, they just need to take a piece out of them. And that's how you can make another thing. I mean, technically we can do that now like all we need is a little piece of your dna and i'm pretty sure we can just regrow something in a tube somewhere i feel like that's how advanced we are so yeah these are just really advanced or slightly altered ways to clone themselves But then there's a Japanese creation story that speaks of a primordial chaos to an egg containing the germs of creation. So now we are germs. And in the Hindu tradition of the creation of the world, it's symbolized by the breaking of an egg. And then Buddhists speak of the transcending of ordinary existence and then the realization of a new mode of being breaking from the shell of an egg. So this egg thing is everywhere too. Uh, The egg is a symbol of the totality form in which all creation comes from. So it's like everything is encompassed inside this egg. And it's like a womb, really. I mean, it's like the seed of creation. Uh, Within the egg are all the possibilities of a perfect creation. The egg, in addition to being the beginning of life, is equally a symbol of procreation and rebirth. So beginning, making babies, dying, coming back again. But what's up with all this perfect stuff? Why do we want to be so perfect all the time? And I think this is just a part of my human condition because I'm so okay with not being perfect. I understand the strive to be perfect or perfection in whatever you're doing to the to be the best of your ability. But do we really want it to be perfect? Because so far, I'm not fucking seeing any perfection in any of this shit. <laughs> They're fucking up all the time. Like, this is so great. All right, now we're going to get on them earth divers. So two elements are important in myths of this type. First is the theme of like the water in the beginning, representing all the waters that are present before the earth has been created. And then secondly, there's an animal who plunges into the water to secure a portion of earth. The importance of the animal is that the creature is like pre-human species. There's no humans yet. So all these animals in these creation stories predate humans 
by far. And okay, obviously we see that. We see that there's lots of other animals in our historical records that show that they were here before humans. So humans were not the first thing that anybody was thinking about making or wanting to do at all. Like we're way down the totem pole. They were like, oh, we need all kinds of other things first. We were like that. Well, I don't know. Maybe we should try this one kind of species. <laughs> but in many versions of the Earth Diver myth, the devil appears as God's companion in the creation of the world. And the devil becomes the diver sent by God to bring Earth from the bottom of the waters. In most versions of this myth, God does not appear to be an almighty and infinite authority. Nope, because often he depends on the knowledge of the devil for certain details regarding the creative act and details that God learns through tricks that he plays upon the devil. So now God is the trickster and the devil's the creator who knows the things and is diving down to do the deeds uh, are okay. We're in the upside down. I already know this, but still. In different versions of this myth, the relationship between God and the devil moves from companionship to enemies. Yep, we see that a lot, though they remain co-creators of the world. And that is still the case to this day. So many people want to be like, it's God versus Satan, the devil. Okay, I get it. Uh, The devil's bad and they want to do bad things. And you should not want to do bad things and be influenced by the devil. But the devil is only doing all of this because God said he could and he sent him to do it. So just remember that when you're a a, a Christian believer, that the devil's doing all these things to you because God allowed him to and put him in charge of that. So what the fuck does that mean now? That's kind of like... Well, your almighty loving God is giving permission for you to be attacked by the devil. We are in the upside down, folks. Um, But the fact that the devil has had a part in the creation of the world is one way of explaining the origin and persistence of evil in the world. Again, it could not happen without God's permission. This is getting weird. So, but... I don't know. See, this is where, who is in charge here? (laughs) Who is, who is really in charge here? Uh, We are. I am. You. Me. Just make sure that you are influencing others to do good and that you're making decisions based on your own reality and nobody else's. That's my advice. All right, so now we're going to get into different cultures, uh, creation stories that are pretty detailed and fun to kind of dive into. Uh, the Hebrew creation story from Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3. I don't know. how is that how you say that? <laughs> the Elohim is actually a plural word best translated as the powerful ones. And the Elohim is pretty much what God is in Genesis. So I'm going to I'm going to speak it with the name Elohim in here. So in the beginning, the Elohim made the sky and the earth. So already here, I know I'm probably going to ruffle some feathers. The powerful ones is plural. So that means the word God is also plural. 
Okay, I'm just moving on. So, but the earth was shapeless and everything was dark. And the Elohim said, let there be light. And there was the light that made day different from night. And that was the first day. So, first things first, it says that there was already an earth. They made the sky and the earth. So the first thing was the sky and then the earth and then there was light. So that's day one. The Elohim said, let there be a dome to separate the heavens from the waters below. And there were the heavens. And that was the second day. Oh, all the flat earthers are going to be so excited about this one because there's a dome between us and the heavens and the waters. So is this like like a Truman Show thing where we have no idea what the fuck we're inside of because now there's a dome around us? Okay, a dome could be a lot of things. It could be our atmosphere. Um, it could be, it really could be like a, a container lid to keep us in. And that's why we don't have anything else uh, like us in the universe because they're trying to keep us inside. All right. The Elohim said, then let the waters of the earth gather so that there are seas and there is dry land. And so it was. The Elohim said, let there be vegetation on the land with plants to yield seeds and seeds. Here again. With plants to yield seeds and fruits. And so it was. And that was the third day. The Elohim said, let there be light in the heavens. So what? It was dark in the heavens and let them change with the seasons. So then there were stars. Ah, they put the stars out there. Then the Elohim made a sun and a moon to rule over the day and to rule over the night. And that was the fourth day. So in this story, uh, the sun was not made first, which is very confusing when it comes to what they try to tell us about our solar system now. How could any of this exist without the sun? Hmm. Like the sun is supposed to be our source of light and energy and life. Like now it wasn't even like the first thing. The earth was so confusing. Okay. So then Elohim said, let there be creatures in the waters and let there be birds in the skies. And so there were sea monsters and sea creatures and birds. And the Elohim blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. And that was the fifth day. So birds and sea monsters, much more important than humans. (laughs) Why weren't they after humans? The Elohim said, let the earth have animals of various kinds. And so it was. Then the Elohim said, let us make humans. Oh, here we come. After our own likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle and the creeping things of the land and over all the earth. They left us in charge. Oh, look what we're doing to the earth. The Elohim said to the humans, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Ruling over the fish and the birds. We already said all that. Uh, We have given you every plant and tree yielding seed to every beast and bird of the earth. We have given every green plant for food. And that was the sixth day. So like what? They just made all of this stuff for us. This doesn't sound right. And then on the seventh day of making the heavens and the earth was finished, the Elohim rested. This story is crazy. Does it? Does this make any sense? Do, I, okay, for they don't. None of them make any sense. But let's try to be logical about the non-logical. So they made all of this shit 
before us so that it could be for us. Ah, okay, I get it. So like let's just say you you have a baby and it's on the way. So you're preparing everything. You're you're making the baby room and the nursery and the bed and getting all the things and you're prepping it all before the baby actually gets here. I get it. All right. So I still think it's so crazy. <laughs> that they were like everything is for you to do as you want fuck it up it doesn't matter it's all for you I don't know if that's what they're trying to say but that's kind of what I'm getting from that I shouldn't think of it like that I should be like but they want us to subdue the earth okay Mother Earth is way bigger and more badass than us. She is subduing us. It is not the other way around. No, she is in charge of way more shit than we are. We are not more important than Mother Earth. I say that, but we're probably just as important. All consciousness is important. We're all working together here, folks. It's just the stories. (laughs) It's all just stories. (laughs) getting me all worked up all right so then next here's a story from the wakaraga people wakaranga people of today's zimbabwe so life from moon and the stars before there was any life on earth god made a man and named him moon well that's confusing already uh he sent moon to live on the bottom of the sea but moon wanted to live on the land despite god's warnings of how hard life would be moon went to live on land Eventually, the lifelessness of the land made Moon so unhappy that he wept, and God took pity on Moon and sent him a wife named Morning Star to keep him company for two years. Just two years. That's it. That's all you get. (laughs) Why only two years? (laughs) Shouldn't this be forever? God, but no. When Morningstar came from heaven to live with Moon, she brought fire with her, and for it had not existed on earth before. She built a fire in the middle of the Moon's hut and slept on the opposite side of him, and in the night, however, he crossed over and made love to her. And by the next morning, she was swollen, and she gave birth to grasses and trees and other plants, and soon the world was green with life. Trees grew until they touched the sky, and then the first rain fell from the clouds that they touched. Thus life on the land flourished and moon and morning star led a bountiful life in their new paradise. Okay. Already so many parallels here. Morning star. Isn't that like Lucifer's name? And now it's already being mixed into other creation stories. See, this is what I'm talking about. I love this. There's so much mixy matchy of things that are happening that no one, it's like telephone game. Who started this story and how did it end up? Ah, so great. At the end of her two years, Morningstar returned to the heavens to live there forever without him. Goodbye. And again, Moon wept in his loneliness because men don't like to be alone. God offered him another wife, but he warned Moon that this time the husband would die after two years. So now you don't just get to have her and she goes away. You did. Uh, Thus, Evening Star came to live with Moon, and when they first made love, she gave birth to goats and sheep and cows on the next day. And on that day after that, she gave birth to antelopes and birds, and on the third day, boys and girls were born. See? Animals first. (laughs) 
I mean, I guess we have to make things for them boys and girls to eat. But Moon wanted to sleep again with Evening Star, but God warned him that he should not. So he did it anyways. And on the next day, Evening Star gave birth to lions and leopards and snakes and scorpions that plagued humankind because Moon ignored the warning. This sounds like the Adam and Eve thing where the don't eat the the apple because... You shouldn't be doing things that God doesn't want you to do. But why doesn't he want you to do that? You, God doesn't want lions and leopards and snakes. Huh. Interesting. But as Moon's daughters grew up, they became beautiful. And he wanted to sleep with them, too. See, this is what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> what? Uh, he did so. And they had many children. Thus, Moon came to rule over a large kingdom of his descendants. Yeah, all his just his daughters and his granddaughters or his daughters. And uh, anyways, Evening Star was jealous and she sent a snake to bite her unfaithful husband. Soon he fell ill and the rainfall that his people had enjoyed stopped. As the rivers dried up and the famine began, his people concluded that it was his fault. Yes, it was. He'd be fucking them kids. And eventually they rose up and strangled him and they set another man in his place as king. The people threw Moon's body in the ocean, but he rose from the sea to the skies to seek his first wife, Morning Star, in hope of reliving their life in paradise as they had before. <laughs> this shit is awesome. So Moon is the moon, but he started as a man. So what does that make our moon now? So oh, these stories are so beautiful. Uh, much of this account is the origin of the earth and its divinities comes from Theo Theogony written from Hesiod. I'm fucking all these names up, but it's a Greek poet that's estimated to live around 700 BC. And this is also the time of Homer. So all of the Greek mythology comes from these stories here. Well, here is our last story of creations that has to do with Gaia. So Gaia is kind of the poetic version of the name of female deity who personifies the earth. So Gaia in the beginning, there was chaos, the abyss. So out of it emerged Gaia, the earth, which is the foundation of all. Next came Tartarus, the depth in the earth where condemned dead souls go to their punishment. What? There was the earth. Oh, and then there's like fucking hell. Ugh, that's next. Wow. And then there's Eros, the love that overwhelms bodies and minds and Erebus, the darkness and Nyx, the night. Erebus and Nyx made love. And from their union came Erther, the air and Hamara, the day. Guys, you know I'm bitchering. <laughs> Butchering these words. <laughs> but Gaia, the divine personification of the earth, gave birth to three offspring without any sex at all. She just said, I want babies and made them on her own. Gaia's first child was Uranus, the starry heavens that fit around her perfectly and that provide a home for the immortals. Then she gave birth to the mountains where the nymphs live in the hills and the forests. The nymphs. Who are the fucking nymphs? I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that. Then she gave birth to Pontus, the sea in which sailors challenge the raging waves. Then Gaia lay with Uranus 
Uh, isn't that her first child? Oh my God. The heavens. Yep. She fucked her son and she gave birth to Okeanus. The ocean that circles the world. Thus, in three generations, the entire world as we know it came to be. Just fucking their kids. Oh, my God. So Gaia and Uranus went on to have 12 children known as the Titans. And Gaia gave rise to many others as well. But Uranus hated all of his children. He was not father of the year. And would push them back into Gaia, who suffered horribly with the pressure. He's just like, now keep them babies in there. Gaia created flint, and from it she made a knife, and she urged her sons to use the knife on their father. The youngest of the twelve titans, Kronos, took the knife, and when Uranus came to lie down with Gaia, so this is getting weird, uh... Cronus cut off his father's genitals and threw them in the sea. So if I'm getting this right, his, uh, the kid's son waited till his mom and dad were going to do it, and he jumped in the middle of it and cut his fucking dad's genitals off and just threw them in the sea. And from the resulting sea foam came Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and the only Olympian god not descendant from a titan. So so strange greek mythologies but i love it so much the 12 children of gaia and uranus the 12 titans intermarried and had many children they just fucked everyone in the family and from them grandchildren as well and i'm just gonna go ahead and assume that all the grandkids fucked each other too this shit is crazy among the titans Cronos, who had emasculated his father uranus became the ruler and mated with his sister of course he did Rhea, because Gaia and Uranus had prophesied that Kronos would be unseated by one of his children. Kronos swallowed the children that Rhea bore. He just ate them. He ate all his kids, who were Poseidon, Hades, Hestia, Demeter, and Hera. So <laughs> just eating, the, fucking the baby. Don't fuck him. Just eat him. I don't know what to do. <laughs> like, what are you supposed to do here? <laughs> So Rhea gave birth to her next child, Zeus, in secret and kept him hidden. She bound up a stone in a cloth and gave it to Kronos, who swallowed the stone, thinking it was the next of the children that he sought to contain. When Zeus was grown, he and Gaia conspired to make Kronos vomit up the five other siblings of Zeus. Zeus, son of Kronos, went on to lead his siblings in a great struggle against the Titans in a war that lasted 10 years until finally the 12 Titans were defeated and confined to Tartarus. Zeus and his siblings and their offspring went on to be the Olympian gods who rule the world today from Mount Olympus. Oh my gosh, Greek mythology. And I thought like Shameless and, you know, like all these other crazy shows on Netflix were wild. Oh no. You Greeks are taking the cake. I feel like I'm going to need to do an episode just on Greek mythology so that we can see just how nutso these people were. So now we're going to get into the skepticism regarding creation. 
I mean, I have a lot of skepticism too. Me, who believes that anything is possible. So <laughs> maybe I should broaden my understanding. But alongside the various myths regarding creation, there are equally skeptic positions concerning the unknowability of creation. Would we ever, as humans, be able to understand the concept of the origins of our existence? Uh, no. No, we can't. Our tiny little human heads are never going to be able to wrap around the understanding of everything in its existence and how it became here. We just can't. It's not like, no, that's like asking a mosquito to understand how to do their taxes. <laughs> it's it's unconceivable to them because they're a mosquito. They don't need to worry about fucking taxes. And we're humans. And I guess apparently we're not supposed to worry about the entire universe, but I'm contemplating it anyways. So maybe that means that I do need to worry about it. I mean, I feel like it's built into our human DNA, or at least mine, to be absolutely curious about everything. I want to question everything. I mean, there's nothing out there that I'm just like, well, that's that. Uh, no, I want to know. I want to understand. I mean, the only thing that I could tell you is that <laughs> the older you get, definitely the less fucks you give, but not about reality. It's more about people who suck. <laughs> You're like, well, I don't give a shit about you. You are not important in my life. Like I don't do a lot of politics. I don't do a lot of things that I'm just like, that's, that's nonsense to my happiness. It doesn't conceive anything that has to do with my happiness. So I just, I just ignore it at that point. But when it comes to contemplating the universe, I'm all in. I'm all in. And so I've got a few things here too. Uh, in the cases of being skeptical about things. So in the Indian tradition of the Rig Veda expresses skepticism in this manner. It says, he, the first origin of this creation, whether he formed it all or did not form it, whose eyes controls this world is highest heaven. He verily knows it or perhaps he knows not. Uh, right there, they're stating that even he who is the creator who formed his own creation might not be the all-knowing of the highest of heavens. There might be something above him. And who's to say that the higher you go, if this existence works in cycles, this is like that rebirth. The highest point that you have that you could ever possibly go might lead you to the lowest point on the other side, just to make your way right back up again. So <laughs> it gets really complicated when you're trying to find a beginning and an end. It's like infinity has no beginning and no end. And that's where a lot of things go topsy-turvy too, because you can't calculate that. There's no, when you have infinity of everything, 
It's supposed to be infinity of everything. But what if there's another infinity of everything? If you take infinity of everything and you minus infinity of everything, shouldn't you have zero? Nope. You'll still have infinity of everything. (laughs) So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Well, I think those are all the things that I could say today. So I hope you have enjoyed the time that we have spent here together. I know that I've always really liked Greek mythology, but holy shit, I'm going to have to dive into more of this weird, weird stuff. I mean... It's just going to get more and more interesting, I have a feeling. But, you know, I'm so glad that you guys have made it this far with me. And I can't wait to tell you more on the next Access Elysium podcast.